This episode, we talk about censorship and the complexities of cancel culture. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. Dr. Seuss Enterprises last week announced that they were stopping the publishing of six books they felt were not politically correct. Dr. Seuss was also dropped from Read Across America Day, a day that was founded as a way to encourage schoolchildren to read, a day that was not accidentally founded to coincide with the famous author's birthday. Here is what is fascinating about this story. In every news outlet I checked out on social media, even the leftist ones like ABC or CNN, most of the comments were condemning this, or at least ridiculing it. I think Americans still, for the most part, understand the dangerous road of book banning and don't necessarily like what they see in cancel culture. But the one news organization that was different was the Washington Post. The comment section there was full of support for the idea and calls to take it even farther. This is actually terrifying. It not only demonstrated how radical that news outlet is and the radicalism of the people who follow them, but it is such a picture-perfect example of the pitfalls and the driving forces, as well as the lame excuses in favor of cancel culture. Now, here is the real story about the six Dr. Seuss books. They were not banned by the government. It was a choice made by Dr. Seuss Enterprises, which is the organization that owns the rights to the work of the late author. The argument that leftists are making is that this was a decision made by a private company who want to do what is right by their organization and the author's memory and society. It is not censorship, and it is not in any way akin to book burning. Under normal circumstances, I would absolutely agree with that argument. If I were an author and had published, let's say, 10 books in my life, and I got to a point where I said, you know, those two books I wrote when I was 20 no longer represent my values. I don't want to publish them anymore. I would want to have the right to do that. I think we need to be completely accurate and clear of the details of these situations that happen because we don't want to just fall into the sensationalism. However, this decision did not happen in a vacuum. It came on the heels of the last couple of years of leftist woke Twitter mobs gunning for Dr. Seuss. And it just so happened that it came at the same time that the government under Democrat Joe Biden decided to drop for the first time Dr. Seuss from the day that began in connection with his birthday. Are we really going to pretend that that doesn't send a message? From a political party that has spent the last four years talking about dog whistles, they really want to pretend that these types of decisions and actions from the people in power don't send any messages or carry any weight? You see, the problem with our current culture is that it is not the government censoring people and banning books. If it were, then people would be more up in arms about it. It would be in our faces. They would recognize that that is a dangerous precedent and actually illegal, violating the First Amendment. The problem with our current culture is that we are turning a blind eye to the bullying and real-life serious ramifications that come from not doing what the left in America demands you do. That bullying and those ramifications are not coming directly from the government, but are coming from others in our nation and world who have a tremendous amount of power. The reason why government censorship is wrong is because the government has the power, and it is those in power censoring the average citizens. But what happens when those in power, who now have the ability to censor, aren't official arms of the government? What happens when privately owned organizations who control nearly all of our means of communication with the outside world decide that they are going to do the censorship? Is that still wrong and dangerous? Of course it is. The government dropping Dr. Seuss signals to that company that there is trouble for them on the horizon if they don't do what the woke mob demands. So they do it to not get canceled altogether. 
The big social media tech companies censor conservative voices because they are all leftists and they all have this incredible amount of power. But they aren't owned by the government. So when people get angry and call it out, they just shrug and say, private company. And if anyone on the right argues that point, they call us hypocrites because we believe that private business owners should have a lot of freedoms when it comes to how they run their business. They will, for example, point to religious people who do not want to provide services to same-sex weddings and say, hey, if the private company argument is good enough for them, then it is good enough for Facebook. Even putting aside the blatant hypocrisy of the fact that the people making that argument actually don't want the private business owner to have the ability to make the choice to not service the same-sex wedding, there is another serious flaw to that argument. Your neighbors who own the corner bakery are not in a position of power in this country in the same way that Jack Dorsey of Twitter is or Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. If one bakery refuses to make someone a wedding cake, there are usually 10 who would line up to do so. If one can't share their viewpoints on Facebook, the same argument could be made that you could move over to Instagram or to Twitter. But what happens when they are all in bed together, making the same decisions about what to ban, and they are serving the entire world, not just one neighborhood or city? The left for my entire life have been screaming about the corporations and all of their power, and yet they are perfectly comfortable with the most powerful corporations in the world engaging in censorship of views they don't like, simply because they are on their own political side. There are no standards anymore. It is simply politics as team sports. If they are on your side, everything they do is fine. Your neighbor who owns the bakery doesn't control half the internet like Amazon servers do. And all of the neighborhood bakeries aren't coming together to decide that they aren't going to provide services to a certain group of people. They aren't coming together to fix any sort of decision like that because if they were, that would be illegal. It is illegal for different businesses to collude together to fix prices or production amounts, for example. Now, you may say there's no evidence that these companies are actually coming together and doing this, but I don't think that you always necessarily need an ac evidence of an actual conversation. If every time that Ralph's decides that they're going to put their loaves of bread at $10 a loaf and you have Vaughn's and Albertson's and all the other grocery stores just instantly follow suit, that can be a form of collusion, even if you don't have evidence that they are talking on the phone together. If conservative voices were silenced regularly on one social media platform, but not on the others, then we would simply move to the other platforms. Not great, but not the end of the world. But when all of the social media companies do it, then we have a serious censorship problem by the entities that control nearly all of our online communication, one of the main ways people communicate in 2021. When these social media companies have the power to censor voices they don't like, that censorship has real-life consequences. Shortly before the 2020 election, Twitter and Facebook actively censored a story that reported Joe Biden's son Hunter in a negative light. It was a story about Hunter Biden's corruption, possible crimes, and pretty definite conflict of interest. They actively quashed that story for the sole reason that it would potentially negatively impact their preferred candidate. In hearings after the fact, they admitted that they shouldn't have silenced the story, that it didn't actually violate their community guidelines. But by then, the election was over. Did that influence the outcome of the election? Who knows? But their attempt at censoring it solely for political benefits is pretty incredible and horrifying stuff. The same is really true with the fact that 99% of news organizations are not just left-leaning, but openly supportive of Democratic candidates and positions. I have always said that the problem with the media isn't that they are hard on Republicans. It is that they are not equally hard on Democrats. As with the Hunter Biden story, they move to ignore any story that shows their candidate in a negative light. If you don't believe me, 
go look up the amount of coverage Brett Kavanaugh's sexual harassment allegation got compared to Joe Biden's sexual harassment allegation. The results are pretty sickening. It is actually dangerous to freedom to have all of the powerful voices in America actively promoting one political ideology and censoring another, because that is exactly what they are doing. Censorship. The letter of the law of the First Amendment is that the government cannot censor American citizens. The reason for this law is because the founders understood that you cannot have a free society when those in power have the ability to silence the people. But what about the spirit of the law of the First Amendment? If the people with immense power in this country are not government officials, but still use their power to censor Americans, couldn't it be argued that that at least violates the spirit of the law? What was the law meant to do? Americans used to value free speech. In fact, it was one of our most sacred values. Now, it seems that too many people are perfectly comfortable with the silencing of voices and opinions they disagree with. They call it hate speech. They call it offensive. And they are fine with it being silenced. Another common argument right now is that the reason why censorship is allowed is because of misinformation. A lot of Americans who under any other circumstances would advocate for free speech seem to be taken in by the misinformation argument that the spread of misinformation is so harmful to society that it must be stamped out, that it justifies the censorship. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a believer of truth. I believe unlike most leftists, that there actually is a universal objective truth in the world and that we should all seek to discover those truths. But the main question that we must ask when we are talking about free speech is who decides what truth is? Now, people hear that question and they say, what do you mean? Truth is truth. And they think of basic uncontroversial facts such as grass is green and fish swim in water. And they say, it's pretty obvious what truth is. Except that it really isn't. The same people who are saying that we need to ban misinformation and lies being spread are the same people running articles saying man gives birth. They are the same people who say that there are no biological differences between men and women. They are the same people who say Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri was killed by a white police officer while saying hands up, don't shoot. I did an entire episode not too long ago about all the lies that come from the left on a constant basis, and I barely scratched the surface. The reason why free speech is so important is because there is no entity on earth, no human or political party or news organization who can claim to be in full possession of the full truth 100% of the time. Discovering truth is a process. It is a journey we are all on. And the only way to find success on that journey is to be able to hear from a variety of viewpoints. Let's talk about a random specific example flat earthers. Now, I happen to believe that the earth is round. I believe this because I have looked at science and every piece of evidence I have seen leads me to this conclusion. But there are a very small group of people who walk around saying that the earth is flat. The solution to the situation is not to silence the flat earthers. They might be spreading what I believe is misinformation, but let them spread it. Silencing them will only cause people to ask why they are being silenced. It will only give credibility to their claims. Instead, we should say, okay, go ahead and talk and present your evidence, and we will present our evidence to the contrary. One thing that extreme leftists don't seem to understand is that listening to opposing viewpoints doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. It shows that you are confident enough in your beliefs to be able to hear views that challenge them. If you cannot even hear opposing viewpoints, then that speaks volumes about your lack of confidence in your ability to defend or even understand your own positions. Most people will look at the evidence and come to the right conclusions, and some will not. Some will come to the wrong conclusions, and we have to accept that. If we want to live in a free society, we have to accept that some people will believe things that we think are wrong or incorrect or even immoral. If you are a human being who feels that anyone who believes or says things that you think are wrong should be silenced, then you are a fascist. You are the problem. 
And I am so sick of this argument that says that fascism is a right-wing ideology, so leftists can't be fascists. Fascism is an ideology that believes in censorship and bullying and eliminating viewpoints that contradict yours. If you are doing those things, you are a fascist, even if your ideas are left-wing. The idea that leftists can't be fascists goes right up there with the BS that says that black people can't be racists or that women can't commit sexual harassment. Those things are actions and ideologies, and they are available to anyone. Fascism ultimately doesn't work. We will never live in a world where everyone will be bullied into believing what the powerful want them to believe. It isn't going to happen. We have a world history full of examples of this. In Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia, people were literally killed for dissent, and yet there was still dissent. Throughout any examples of religious tyranny, where the churches were the powerful and they arrested or killed people who thought differently, there were still people who thought differently. This is why there are still concentration camps in places like China today. If the bullying worked to silence dissent, they wouldn't need the camps. They need the camps because the bullying doesn't work, at least not on everyone. Because there are people who are actually willing to lay down their lives to stand up for what they believe in. Now, obviously, these examples are far more extreme than anything happening in the United States today. No one is being arrested and thrown in jail for speaking unpopular opinions. Not yet, at least. But they are being canceled. They are losing their jobs. And without a job, you cannot have anything else that we need in life. And the slippery slope is very real. Growing up, I always heard that book burning was a kind of telltale sign of dictatorship and fascism. It was a symbol of the end of freedom and liberty. But we don't need an actual fire to see books being burned. If you are waiting for a literal fire, you're being a fool. Books are being banned as a way to bow down to the woke mob. Amazon, one of the biggest booksellers in the world, has decided to quietly take down books and movies that include what they consider hate speech. You can still buy Mein Kampf on Amazon, just as a fun fact. But of course, they don't define what they find to be hate speech. The problem with the term hate speech lies in the question of who gets to decide what hate speech is. As Thomas Sowell said, it is not what is best, it is who decides what is best. There are plenty of things left to say that I find hateful and offensive. I find it hateful and offensive when people condemn Christianity, which is a fate that I ascribe to very deeply. Does that mean that all books by atheists condemning Christianity should be banned? Of course not. Do we really think that the leadership of Amazon should get to decide what is hateful and what isn't in our national dialogue? I don't know anyone in their right mind who would say yes to that. The truth is, I do not want to ban books by people who are critical of Christianity. I do not want to silence them. Bring it on. Bring on your arguments, because I believe that I can defend against them. I believe that I can defend my position. It is only people who feel that they cannot defend their positions on merit or logic or science or evidence who want to actually shut up their opposition. But what about misinformation that can actually be dangerous? For instance, we have seen this a lot when it comes to COVID. The social media companies have prided themselves on banning information about COVID that does not fall in line with the World Health Organization. The very same organization who covered for communist China at the beginning of the pandemic by lying and saying that the virus was not transmissible from person to person, which it clearly was. But people will make the argument and say that misinformation in the middle of a pandemic could actually be dangerous. It could cause people to not take adequate precautions, not take the virus seriously, or not choose to get vaccinated. First of all, the blaming of misinformation for people not taking the virus seriously is a complete cop-out. The reason why many people either didn't take it seriously or didn't follow all of the recommendations has a lot more to do with the constant changes, the inconsistencies, and the unrealistic and catastrophic natures of the health orders than it did with any online conspiracy theories. 
When my county issued the first mask mandate in April of 2020 and specifically called out that when driving alone in your car, you must wear your mask, as a person with a rational brain in my head, I immediately began to question all the things I was hearing. I didn't dismiss all the things I was hearing. Don't get me wrong. But I thought about it with critical thinking. There was no shut up and obey and just not ask any questions with me. Sorry, that's just not who I am. Blaming internet misinformation or conspiracy theories is a way to escape the responsibility for the misinformation and inconsistencies that came directly from people like Dr. Fauci and the health departments across the country. The more people I talk to lately, and the more I realize that more and more folks from both sides of the political aisle are questioning the guidelines, because it just doesn't make sense that you can go stand in line at Costco with hundreds of other people and be safe, but your kid going to school or you visiting a friend is just reckless and dangerous. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, you are always going to have people who will not comply, period, no matter what you do. Murder is illegal in America, and the vast majority of people agree with that. And yet, Dateline NBC and Discovery ID have no shortage of murder stories to tell on their programs. The fact that slavery is evil is an accepted and established fact in America, but human trafficking is still a monumental worldwide problem. There is not one area of life on this earth where we have complete compliance, and this is going to be true with all issues regarding COVID as well. But the way you battle misinformation is not with censorship. It is with better defended information. If the vaccines are truly good and safe and worth getting, then explain that to people. Explain to us why the conspiracies are incorrect, and then accept the fact that there will be people who will still believe them, because there is no way around that, and that censorship and the silencing of these voices in practicality only further fuels conspiracy theories. It does nothing to actually curb them. Now, of course, there are limits to free speech, such as it is illegal to make direct threats or to verbally harass someone or to directly call for violence. No one is arguing against that perspective, but it is a far cry to say that one cannot call in a death threat to say that a book someone finds offensive should not be allowed to be sold. And anyone who makes that leap is not being intellectually honest. It is really disconcerting that when people argue for even offensive or hurtful or even crazy speech to still be allowed, that that means we must be fine with death threats. No, not at all. We all believe there is a line. What we disagree on is where that line should be. Another common argument against those of us who call out cancel culture is this idea that you have the right to say whatever you want to say in America, but you don't have the right to escape the consequences of what you say. I agree with this idea wholeheartedly. If you own a restaurant and you are constantly spewing racist rhetoric to your customers and your employees, then I would choose to not visit your restaurant. And if enough people walk away and you go out of business, then too bad for you. But that is not what we are seeing here. People are free to spend their money on anything and anywhere they want, and your money is actually a very powerful tool to voice your views. However, there is a huge difference between my husband and I deciding not to give our money to a restaurant with an anti-cop sign in the front window and us starting a social media campaign to get the city to revoke that restaurant's license so that they must close down. The difference between conservatives slash liberals and leftists is that the conservatives and liberals won't go see a movie that they find offensive. Leftists want to prevent anyone else from seeing the movie by bullying the theaters into not showing it. Conservatives and liberals will turn the channel when a cable news show comes on that they vehemently disagree with. Leftists will call and threaten the advertisers of that cable news show to get them to drop their sponsorship of the show with the hope that the show will be taken off the air. Leftists started a campaign against Chick-fil-A a few years ago to boycott the company's supposed anti-LGBT views. They aren't anti-LGBT. The Christian owner simply donated to an organization that promoted traditional marriage, among many other things. People who did not like that view were more than welcome to not eat at that restaurant, but people who supported their position 
or just their right to have their position, decided to continue dining at the restaurant and did so in droves. Chick-fil-A is now one of the top three fast food chains in America. Consumers have every right to speak with their dollars, but that's not what cancel culture is. Cancel culture seeks to, by any means necessary, force a business to close, a person to get fired, a record label or a production company to drop someone, all for expressing views that contradict the progressive narrative. They do not just stick with regular old-fashioned boycotts because the boycotts simply don't work. Too many Americans will say, no, I'm still going to, you know, dine at Chick-fil-A or I'm still going to watch that TV show or I'm still going to tune into that. And so they have to go further. They have to actually get them canceled. That progressive narrative that they have to stick with is also a very fine line to walk indeed. And that matters too. It is not just one or two offensive words that they want people to avoid. It is any position to the right of Bernie Sanders. Mainstream conservative ideas are now considered controversial. When they get to label anything they want as hate speech, then they will label anything they want as hate speech. We are putting people in charge of deciding truth who admittedly don't believe in universal truth, but ascribe to the ideas of moral relativism. There is really nothing more dictatorial than that. It is like going back to the days where a king could rule his country by doing whatever he wanted, and everyone must obey his daily whims and moods. That isn't America. It is a mob, and it is a mob that can come after anyone they want. It's a terror tactic. You never know what the next thing is that will be considered racist, offensive, or non-inclusive. The next canceled person can be male or female, rich or the average Joe, and in some cases, even on the left as well, if they didn't toe the line well enough. You just never know who they will come after next. It is the modern-day Salem witch hunt, the modern-day McCarthyism. We have to remember that the First Amendment was not written to protect your right to say good morning to someone. It was not written to protect speech that everyone likes and finds pleasant. The First Amendment was written to protect unpopular and even offensive ideas. Because remember, if you can silence someone because they said something that offends you, then I can silence you when you say something that offends me. We have to remember that the only way truth can be discovered is to have free speech. It is to listen to opposing viewpoints to see which argument makes sense and are supported by evidence. It is to listen to ideas that make us uncomfortable. I am so strong in my understanding of myself and my beliefs and my arguments because I have actually listened to the opposing views and not by conservatives explaining what Democrats think, but to actual Democrats explaining what they believe. Leftists and extremists are all but lost, but to the liberals in America, do not get your understanding of what conservatives believe from other liberals or leftists explaining it. Listen to conservatives themselves explain it. That way, you know you are getting the truth and not just a caricature of what a conservative believes. We have to remember that people seek to silence others only when they feel they are unable to convince you with words, logic, facts, evidence, or science. You should always be suspicious and skeptical of anyone who is trying to get you to not hear a particular viewpoint or argument. If they must resort to censorship, then they cannot defend their position. This stuff is real. It is real and it is happening and it needs to stop. Americans must stand up and say, we're going too far. We have to say no to all this. If you are an atheist, socialist, transgender, pansexual male, then you and I may have almost nothing in common in terms of ideology, but you should still be able to stand next to me in this. I don't want to shut you up, and you shouldn't want to shut me up either. When did people lose the nuanced understanding that just because we believe someone should be allowed to say something means we agree with it? When you make that accusation, what you are inadvertently admitting is that you think only people who agree with you should be allowed to speak. But with all that being said, I do believe there is room for hope. In the days following the debacle with the Dr. Seuss books, it turns out that the other books the author wrote began to fly off the literal and digital shelves. Amazon was sold out of three of his most famous and popular books. 
Just like so many times before when the left tries to ban something, when the American people have their say, the opposite usually happens. We see it with Chick-fil-A, we saw it with Goya Foods, and we are seeing it now with Dr. Seuss. When Disney decided to fire Gina Carino so that they could demonstrate they were on the side of the mob, she got hired as an actress and producer with The Daily Wire, a conservative news and media site. There is an appetite for conservative content in America. After all, half the country is conservative, despite what the powerful may try to tell you. And as long as we live in a capitalistic society, and as long as the censorship doesn't start coming from the government, businesses will start to fill that void. But it takes courage. It takes a lot of courage to speak out today in defense of conservatism. And this is what we as everyday average Americans can do. We can be honest and unapologetic about our beliefs. We can refuse to play by their rules, rules that require personal attacks, name-calling, and blatant hypocrisy. We can refuse to be bullied against speaking the truth. Truth can never be hateful. Only lies can be hateful. We are living in a time where we, as spoiled Americans, have to have courage to stand up for what is right. And the more people who stand up, the less power the leftist mob has. Their power lies in our fear, and we need to simply stop being afraid. We'll be right back with our three questions of the week. Okay, so question number one comes from Dylan. As conservatives who believe in free market capitalism, how can conservatives utilize that system to fight against cancel culture that stems from private companies? So I guess what the question is asking is, how can we utilize the free market system in order to, you know, use that as a tool to fight against cancel culture, uh, the cancel culture that is coming from private companies? Because, of course, if things are getting canceled or censored by the government, um, you can always, you know, sue and you can press charges and you can sue the government and all that stuff because it's actually illegal. But when it comes from a private company, you can't really do that because private companies have very, you know, liberal rights in order to operate their businesses how they want to, which is something that I actually agree with. So um, how can we use the free market system? Well, I think that we can do it by simply putting our dollars where our opinions are. I mean, I am not really a fan of the idea that, you know, we have to consider the politics behind every single company that we choose to patronize. I, I When I want to go out to dinner with my husband or with my friends, like, I don't want to have to think about, okay, which political candidate did this restaurant support or did this restaurant owner support? Like, I just want to go where they have good food and good service. Um, and also, I think it's bad for the country. I mean, I think it's bad for the country when, you know, you are hanging out with a group of friends and what happens when some of you are liberal and some of you are conservative and you want to go out to eat and it's like you can't agree on a place because of the politics. It's just not a good place for us to be. So I don't, I've never been a fan of the idea that like we should, you know, only patronize organizations that agree with us politically. Um, But the problem is, is that anytime any organization or business comes out as even conservative leaning, um, the woke mob, the leftist mob just goes after them. I mean, even it was I think it was the Hyatt uh, hotel chain that hosted CPAC. Um, the mob tried to go after Hyatt and, and say, you know, people need to stop going to Hyatt hotels because they hosted CPAC. I mean, it's just so crazy that these people want to utilize these tools to silence their opposition. And really, the best thing that we can do is every time that happens, turn around and support that business. 
turn around and support the business or to support um, the organization that is standing up against cancel culture. So Hyatt, I believe I saw that they released a statement saying, you know, too bad. I mean, we're going to host events, you know, because we believe that different people should have the right to speak their opinions and to, to, you know, get together and to actually share their ideas. People should stay at Hyatt hotels. When, you know, we saw it again with Chick-fil-A, when the woke mob went after them, people went and they said, fine, we're going to go and we're going to patronize that business. When the Daily Wire comes out with a movie that is starring or produced by Gina Carino, everybody should go and see that movie. I mean, however it is that they release it, uh, whether it's in, I don't know if they're it's going to be in theaters or streaming or whatever, but you should go and you should see it. You should pay to see it. You know, use your dollars to support every single company and organization that is standing up against cancel culture. Because the thing is, is that, again, the only reason why the mob has the power is because of the fear that they elicit. If people are afraid, they are going to bow down. But if people are no longer afraid, then the mob loses their power. If people who get canceled, like Gina Carino, you know, if people look at her, if she becomes wildly successful with the Daily Wire or doing something on her own or doing something with a different production company, if she becomes wildly successful and has this thriving career, then the message that that sends is, you know, look, if you get canceled, you're going to be okay. If you get fired from your job because of your beliefs, you're going to be okay because there's going to be another company behind them that is going to be willing to pick you up and hire you and give you a livelihood. The minute that we do that and we see that happening, the mob is going to fizzle away because they have now lost their power because people aren't going to be afraid of them anymore. And when people aren't afraid of them, they're going to speak out. They're going to continue to speak out. And it's going to get to a point where, you know, on the left, even people are going to say, you know, man, if we if we stop patronizing every conservative business or organization, like we're not going to have very many places left to patronize. So I think that that is the best way that we as individual citizens can utilize the free market system in order to, you know, help fight against cancel culture, you know, um, just use our, you know, use our money, use our dollars to, you know, support what we feel and what our opinions are. All right. Question number two comes from Bethany. She says the cliche history is doomed to repeat itself is often scoffed at as what it is a cliche. Yet here in America, having a younger history than other developed nations, are we already starting to see the lack of historical knowledge bear the fruits of repeating historical blunders? I mean, yeah, definitely. I would definitely say yes to that. I think that the lack of knowledge about history that is really prevalent in our culture is very, very damaging. People who do not understand what has happened before are not going to learn from what has happened before. And if you don't learn from it, then of course you're going to make those same mistakes. I mean, there are things that, you know, mistakes that I've made in my life that when my kids are older, when they're teenagers or young adults or whatnot, I mean, I have every intention of sharing with them mistakes that I've made in my life in the hopes that I can spare them from making similar mistakes. And so I think that, I mean, when you look at our ancestors, when you look at the people who came before us, I mean, one of the things, the good things that can possibly come from their suffering and their failures uh, and their hardships is that maybe, you know, future generations can be spared it. We definitely are in that problem right now. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we talk about the Salem witch trials. We talk about McCarthyism. Um, I mean, these are all things that have happened before. This is not new. This has happened before. But, you know, the Me Too movement was criticized heavily because it started to turn 
into a witch hunt where all that we needed was a woman to make an accusation and that man was destroyed. There did not need to be any evidence. There did not need to be any proof. There did not need to be any corroboration. There did not need to be any investigation. And I mean, I get it. I definitely get it that, you know, women have had a history of not being believed when they accuse somebody of sexual harassment or assault. Women, you know, it is definitely still a problem that is occurring in our world. However, you know, we still have the tenets of innocent until proven guilty. And I think that it's very dangerous to move away from that. So, you know, yeah, I think if it were up to me, I would definitely have as many people as possible study as much history as possible because they think that when we do, we can see things that have already happened in the past. I remember in high school, you know, reading The Crucible and learning about the Salem witch hunts and everything. And of course, everybody's like, oh, that's just so terrible. How could people, how could people do that? How could people just allow, you know, people to be, young girls to be believed and people to be actually you know, killed and and hung for these crimes that were on such flimsy evidence. I mean, it was just insane. And yet, I mean, here we are. Here we are where if you tweet something that somebody doesn't like, you could be fired. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. Or or, you know, you could you could tweet something, you know, 10 years ago and it comes back and it haunts you today. I mean, it's just it is definitely a witch hunt and we we need to be better. All right. And our last question comes from Jack. Why do you think it is so hard for people to take a stand against ideologies that are destructive to actual unity? So unity, that is a big word lately. Uh, everybody wants, you know, unity. I, I actually used to believe for a long time, uh, somebody that I listen to a lot um, on podcasts, they they would say all the time, you know, I think that 70% of Americans probably agree on 70% of the issues. And then that other 30%, you know, is maybe the radicals or the extremists and then or, you know, the legitimate differences that we have, you know, the, the legitimate philosophical and policy differences. I held to that for a very, very long time. But I am really today starting to look around me and be like, I don't think that that is the case anymore. It just seems like on issue after issue after issue, we are so far apart that it is very difficult to find unity. Um, and that's why, you know, when there was all this talk about unity after the election, it's like, you can't help but just roll your eyes. Because I mean, how can I find unity with people who are saying that because I believe in small government and, you know, low taxes, because I believe in, you know, strong borders and supporting law enforcement and all of these things that I am equal to a Nazi. That is a very difficult thing for you know, people to get over. I mean, you, you just really have a hard time to get getting over that. So I would say, why is it so hard for people to take a stand? I think it's hard for people to take a stand because people are afraid. And, and this can, I mean, it really depends on the situation that you're, that you're in and what we're talking about. You know, if you're sitting at a dinner party with some neighbors or some friends or whatnot, and, you know, somebody says something you disagree with, you know, maybe you're going to feel comfortable to stand up and be like, yeah, I don't agree with that. And let me say why. But, you know, if you're in a situation where, you know, maybe you're in a class, or maybe you are with some people that you don't know all that well. Maybe you're at work. Maybe you're in these different situations where it's like, you know what? It is just not worth it. It is not worth it. And especially in the climate that we're living in today where it's like, if I speak up and, you know, my boss has a different political ideology than me, I could lose my job. And if I lose my job, I can lose my house <laughs> and my family might not eat tonight if, you know, I lose my job. So, you know, it's, it's definitely there's a lot to lose. And for a lot of people, it's really easy to just 
stay quiet. It's really easy to just not say anything. I know that I've been in that situation. I mean, I, you know, you get to a point where you also have to ask yourself, like, what is it going to accomplish to actually speak up? Is the person who is saying something, you know, that I disagree with, are, are they going to be willing to listen to me? Are they going to be willing to actually hear what I have to say? Or are they just going to turn around and start yelling at me or cursing at me or calling me all sorts of names? You know, the truth is, is that racist being called a racist is a very, very terrible thing. I think racism is ugly and disgusting and evil and immoral and goes against God. Nobody wants to to be called a racist. Nobody wants to be called a bigot. Nobody wants to be accused of these horrible, you know, things. And really, the thing about being called a racist is that we fall into the trap that if somebody calls you a racist and you know in your heart, like, okay, no, I I know in my heart that I'm not a racist. It's impossible for you to prove that you're not a racist. Like the burden of proof should be on the person who made the accusation. You, if you are going to call me a racist, you should have to prove that accusation, right? Because it's impossible for me to prove that I'm not a racist. I cannot possibly tell you every single word that has ever come out of my mouth as evidence that, okay, no, I'm not a racist. I've never said anything racist in my entire life. You know, that's, that's not possible. And so the problem is, is that we, you know, it's just this vicious cycle. People, too many people uh, go straight straight for those ad hominem attacks. They go straight for those personal attacks. And look, the truth is, is that it's not pleasant to be called names. It is not pleasant to be, you know, accused of things and, and all of that. I mean, I have for better or for worse spent, you know, gotten into many conversations on social media with complete strangers over politics and, you know, had back and forth with people. Believe it or not, some of those conversations were actually really enlightening and eye-opening and they were good, productive conversations with people that I disagreed with. Some of them were like, oh my gosh. I mean, to say that I've been called every name in the book, to say that I have been, I mean, really like sexually harassed on social media. I mean, the, the, the men on there that are so quick to, you know, jump to sexual innuendos and attacks and, and just really vulgar things because, you know, I'm a woman who dares to disagree with them. That is something, you know, that, that I have experienced. And, you know, it's easy when you're on, on social media. I shouldn't say it's easy. It sucks. It's not fun to have those things said to you. Uh, but when you're on social media and it's a complete stranger, you can just be like, click, I'm going to turn it off and you go away. <laughs> like, I don't have to listen to you or I can block you or whatever. But when it's your neighbor, when it is, you know, your best friend's dad, when it is your coworker, when it is, you know, somebody in your life, that is really a tough position to be in to have people, you know, react that way and to think those things about you. I mean, you shouldn't even want people to think those things about you. And so it is really, really tough. And, and the truth is, it takes courage. That is why, why, you know, I said it takes a lot of courage to speak out in defense of what is right. But but the truth is, is that it has always taken courage to speak out about what is right. And when we look at history, again, looking through history, understanding history, where would we be today if people didn't take the time and the cur have the courage to speak out about what is right, to speak out about what they believed in? I mean, if people didn't stand up against atrocities and actually die for atrocities by fighting in wars to die and, you know, actually lose their lives in order to stand up for what was right. I mean, Adolf Hitler would have taken over the world. Slavery would have never been abolished in the United States. 
you know, Jim Crow and, and, and all of those, you know, segregation and all those, you know, things that happened, that those things would never have been abolished. So, you know, we, we are spoiled as Americans because we live these very comfortable lives. Uh, we live in relatively, we have lived in relatively peaceful situations where the wars that have been fought over the last several generations, you know, since we eliminated the draft, it, it they don't affect everybody equally. They only really affect the family members of the service people who are actually, you know, in there serving, but they don't affect everybody equally. And, you know, so we don't, we, we are very spoiled and we are very comfortable in our lives and we seek comfort. And the truth is, is that standing up for what is right and standing up for what you believe in does force you to become a bit uncomfortable. It forces you to put yourself out there. But I am still here and I'm still doing it because I really think that what we need in America today and what we need in our country is for more voices who are going to stand up and speak the truth and who are going to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. This is going to lead to widespread unhappiness and poverty and suffering. And we need to stand up against these ideas and these ideologies that are destructive Um, and they're destructive to our country. They're destructive to unity. I mean, all of this critical race theory and all of these things, they are destructive to unity. They are destructive forces that really lead to nothing good because they end up telling people that they're victims, telling people that they are oppressed. And if you're oppressed, then somebody's oppressing you. And, you know, I'm sorry, but I've never oppressed anybody in my entire life. I just have not. I I am not a person who has been the cause of somebody else's hardships or downfalls or, you know, their life being completely ruined. And so the the idea that because of the color of my skin, I'm guilty of of those atrocities, um that is destructive. And how is that going to lead us to unity? How is that going to lead anybody to make their life better? You know, I speak ideas and I speak things that I think are going to make people's lives better. You know, you are strong enough to build, to pick yourself up. You don't need to rely on the government. You are not a victim. These are ideas that I believe are not just true, but they are the ideas that are going to actually help people to live better lives instead of, you know, keeping people as victims and keeping people in bad situations. So it's, that was a very long answer to that question, but I mean, it's, it was a good question. You know, it's, it is hard. It is very hard today to take a stand against all of the ugliness that we see, but we just have to have a little bit of courage or in some cases, a lot of courage. And I think that if enough people stand up and have that courage and do the right thing, then I think that we will be okay. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about censorship and cancel culture in America. I will be back next week with another deep dive into issues affecting American life from the perspective of just an American. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or a friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJNAmerican. You can also message the show by sending an email to jj at imjustanamerican.com or visiting our locals page at imjustanamerican.locals.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at imjustanamerican. This episode was produced and edited by Brian White. Music for this episode was written and performed by Michael Beatty.